Today we're in the third week of a series that we're going through on the book of Galatians. And what we're going to see in this book of Galatians is the one true gospel. We started that out in chapter one. Now we, we kind of challenged you as we kicked off the series to be reading one chapter a day in the book of Galatians. And if you started back when we kicked it off, you're going to get to go through the book six times. If you haven't been doing that, it's not too late. Okay, you can still get through it three times, but I would really encourage you to read a chapter a day in the book of Galatians. If you do, it will make the sermons more impactful. If you do, it will make your conversations during the week with other people more meaningful. I encourage you to dig into the Word for yourself during the week. Now, the book of Galatians has six chapters, so we've broken this down into a six-week study. We started out with week one looking at the true gospel. Robert, you're going to have to forward it through. There we go. We started out looking at the one gospel in week one. Week number two, we talked about two meetings that Paul had to make sure he wasn't running the race in vain, as he said, to make sure that everybody was on the same page about the basic truths of this gospel. Today we're going to look at the promise. Then next week we're going to go into labor pains, week five, true freedom, and then week six, a new creation. I just want to remind you, if you missed week one or week two, you can always go back and listen to any of the sermons that we've done here at Alpine. Just simply go to the website, alpinechurch.org, and at the top you'll see a tab that says resources. Click on that, and then you'll see sermons on Spotify. So you can listen to any sermon if you happen to be out of town or if you miss one. Now, I think it's important that we make sure we kind of paint the backdrop of what was going on at the time of the book of Galatians, that we give it some context. So we're going to do that for just a moment. So the book of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was originally a letter that he wrote to the churches in Galatia that he had planted on his first missionary journey. And if you're new to church or if you're just checking out this whole Christianity thing, there's a couple things you should know about the Apostle Paul. First, he was Jewish. In fact, at one time he was a Pharisee. In the earliest days of the Christian movement, he actually persecuted Christians. He was determined to squash this movement. He, he had them imprisoned. He was actually witness to their murder. He was literally a religious terrorist. But then Paul had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and his life got turned upside down. He, he began to proclaim the gospel, the good news that salvation is by faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, Jesus plus nothing. So then Paul becomes a missionary and he begins sharing this good news with other Jews. Then he begins sharing it with Gentiles and they receive it. They believe it and so he starts planting churches in the region of Galatia. And as we saw back in chapter 1, at the heart of Paul's message, the heart of the gospel is that salvation is Jesus plus nothing. But then, just as soon as Paul leaves Galatia, a group of false believers called the Judaizers begin to infiltrate the church in Galatia. And they start teaching a different gospel, a gospel that at first look seems really similar. But when you dig into it, you realize it's not good news at all. And their gospel was that Jesus is necessary but that he isn't sufficient. There's more that you have to do. 
There's work that has to be done. You have to not only believe in Jesus, but you have to obey the works of the law. Basically, they were saying, if you want to be a Christian, you have to become Jewish. You have to observe the holidays and the festivals. You have to observe a kosher diet. If you're a male, you have to be circumcised. And so they add to this right now for the Judaizers, salvation is Jesus plus works instead of Jesus plus nothing. Paul hears about this and he knows he's got to squash it. Paul knows that he's got to nip this in the bud right away because this is no good news at all because even though it looks similar, we will never be justified before perfect and righteous and holy God by what we do. It only leads to condemnation. And so we're going to see in the book of Galatians, particularly in chapter 3 as we dig into it, that Paul uses some pretty strong language with the Galatians. You know, normally in Paul's letters to the churches, he starts out the letter by thanksgiving and by praising them. He doesn't do that with the Galatians. He gets right to the heart of the matter because this is so important. He opens chapter 1 by saying that he's shocked that they're so quick to turn away from the gospel. And then he opens up chapter 3, the chapter we're going to look at today, by calling them foolish Galatians 3.1, Paul writes, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Paul says, you're foolish. I couldn't have made the message any more clear. In the original language that Paul used here that says foolish, doesn't mean they were intellectually deficient. It means they should have known better. The Greek word that he chose to use means someone who has the ability to think, but they choose not to use it. Paul's saying, you should know better. He's so frustrated. You can hear it in his writing because he's like, if there's one thing I stressed, if there's one thing I was clear on, it's that salvation is Jesus plus nothing. So that's the backdrop that we have as we dig into more on Galatians chapter 3, and that leads us to our first point, and that's that the gospel of grace was not a divine afterthought. God gave Abraham a promise long before he gave Moses the law. Now, Paul's going to turn to the Old Testament to prove his point. If you think about it, he's contending with Judaizers, right? These Judaizers would have listened to teaching on the Old Testament for years in their synagogue. So they would have been really familiar with the Old Testament. And that's where Paul goes to prove his point. And we've titled today's sermon, The Promise. But unfortunately, I don't think the word promise has as much impact on us and our culture as it did to the Galatians. If for some reason, promise doesn't seem to mean as much to us anymore. But to the Galatians who were in a, a shame and honor culture, a promise would have been very significant. But in our culture, we have to add to promises all the time, don't we? You know, we add prenuptial agreements because the promises made in our wedding ceremonies don't mean everything to some people. Or we add pages and pages of contracts to a simple business transaction because for some people a promise doesn't mean anything. Even our kids do it. Any of you guys ever make a pinky promise when you were a kid, right? Or have you heard your kids make a pinky promise? Like somehow that's more significant, right? 
As if you're going to be sitting there one day and going, you know, I was going to break this promise, but since I brought my smallest appendage into the deal, we're bound for life. And it just, it just doesn't make any sense, right? But we add to it because in our culture, promises don't mean as much. But guys, you need to know when God makes a promise, you can take it to the bank. God is a promise keeper. And Paul's going to go to a promise made all the way back in the book of Genesis as he goes to make this argument. So if you have your Bible with you or your Bible app, feel free to go there. We're going to spend most of our time in the book of Galatians. But for now, we're going to kick this off with Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 2 and 3. And I know it's kind of hard to read on the screen. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. That last part that we underlined, that's the significant part here. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So in these verses, God is talking to Abram, who would eventually be renamed Abraham. He's the father of the Jewish nation. And God tells Abram that he's going to bless him. He's going to make him into a great nation. And then most importantly, God says, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Part of this promise is referring to the Messiah. It's referring to Jesus. It's important to know that this promise was made long before the law was given to Moses. So here's kind of a timeline. We see this promise in Genesis chapter 12. 430 years later, the law is given in Exodus chapter 20. Paul continues to highlight this promise in verse 8 of chapter 3 of Galatians. And he writes, What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So Paul is specifically going back to Genesis chapter 12 as he makes his argument. And then after verse 8, he expands on it again in verse 17 of chapter 3. Paul says, this is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses because God would be breaking his promise. So Paul breaks it down for the Galatians and he's reminding them that the promise of blessing for all people came long before the law did. In fact, it came over 400 years before the law came. And Paul says, look, God cannot break his promise. Wouldn't you have loved to be in the room when the Holy Spirit first revealed the truth of Genesis chapter 12 to Paul? <laughs> I think you'd have been like, how did I not see this before? Maybe you can relate to that, right? Maybe there's a passage that you've read dozens of times and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just reveals truth out of it that you missed before. Because Genesis chapter 12 wasn't new to Paul. As a young Jewish man training to be a Pharisee, he would have read the books of Moses over and over and over. But in his past, he didn't see this as being fulfilled in Jesus. Certainly when he was persecuting Christians, he didn't see Jesus as the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 12. But after he has an encounter with the resurrected Christ, after he's indwelled with the Holy Spirit, he sees the truth and the teaching of Genesis chapter 12. 
that this promised blessing was Jesus. That it's the good news that salvation is Jesus plus nothing. And the other part of this promise that we're going to see in just a little bit is the promised Holy Spirit. And Paul's explaining that this promise was all a part of God's plan. It was given to Abraham from the very beginning. The law was never meant to bring salvation. And he also stresses that this promise is for all people. It's not just for the Jews. It wasn't just for the Judaizers. It was for the Gentile believers. It's for you and it's for me. And so we contrast that with what was going on in Galatia. What the Judaizers were saying, right? They were saying that the law has to be kept. This is what is most important. If you don't follow the law, you can't be a follower of Christ. That if you're a Gentile, you have to become Jewish first because we are God's chosen people. And Paul's saying, no, that's not the case at all. The promise was to all people and it was given long before the law came around. And God is a promise keeper. And then Paul says there's only one thing we can do to experience these blessings. There's only one thing you and I can do to experience the promise that God made to Abraham, and that is faith. We don't experience it through works. The Jewish Christians didn't experience it that way. The Gentile Christians didn't experience it that way. You and I don't experience it that way. So the only way we can be made right with God is by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And that leads us into our second point, and that's that Abraham was justified back then the same way we're justified today, by faith. See, Paul's going to continue to go back to Genesis to prove his point to the Galatians. He's going to use Scripture to back his position. This is very instructive for us. See, Paul doesn't base his argument on how he feels about it. He doesn't base his argument on what was popular in the culture at that time. He bases his argument on God's word. Paul has a, a biblical worldview. I hope that you and I, anytime we're trying to decide where we stand on an issue, would first go to God's word. Anytime I'm trying to decide what is right and wrong, the first thing I want to look at is well, what does God's word say about it? That's having a biblical worldview. You know, we've had some sermon series here recently that might be considered controversial. We just wrapped up one on God and money, and people don't like to talk about money, but the Bible has a lot to say about money. Before that, we had a series called Anthropology, where we looked at men and women and gender, and how God created men and women differently from the beginning, that that's part of God's blessing. Before that, we, we compared the world's view of love, this counterfeit version of love, with what the Bible calls love, we did our Greater Love series. And in all of those series, we taught what the Bible teaches about that topic. That's how we're going to teach every series. We're not going to stand up here and, and give you our opinion. We're not going to stand up here and, and say what feels good to us, or even what we think you want to hear just so that you'll stick around. That's not how we're going to teach a series. We're always going to go back to the foundational truth of what does God's Word say about it, and that's what Paul did with the Galatians. I love that Paul argues his point from Scripture. This time he's going to reference Genesis 15. So we were in Genesis chapter 12. Now Paul is going to reference Genesis 15. So let's look at Genesis 15 before we look at what Paul has to say about it. 
But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And here's the important part, guys. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So the original promise to Abram was back in chapter 12. Now we're in chapter 15, and so obviously some time has passed. And in verse 1 of Genesis 15, Abram has a vision. And in the vision, God says, Abram, I'm going to protect you and I will be your great reward. Basically, God tells Abraham, remember the promise I made to you? Well, I'm going to protect you so that I can bring that to fruition. And Abraham has a little bit of a faith crisis. He has a, he has a moment of doubt. He says, oh God, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? I love how honest the Bible is about its heroes. I love how honest the Bible is about the human condition. Here we have Abram, who in just a few moments is going to be commended for his faith, and we see that he has a faith crisis. For a moment, his faith is shaking, and God is so patient with him. So God takes him out, and he says, I want you to look up in the sky and count the stars if you can. Have you guys ever been out in the middle of the desert at night and seen the stars? I mean, it's amazing. that You just can't see them in the city like you can when you're out in the mountains or out in the desert. And God says, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And here's the critical part. Here's what Paul is going to stress to the Galatians. That Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, it doesn't say Abram believed in the Lord. Okay? Believing in God is not a saving faith. In fact, the Bible tells us even the demons believe in God. It says that Abram believed the Lord, meaning he believed that what God said was true. He believed that God would keep his promise. He believed that he could trust God in this. And the same is true for believing in Jesus. See, guys, believing in Jesus, believing that Jesus really existed, isn't a saving faith. But believing Jesus, believing that what he said was true, believing that he is who he said he is, believing that he lived the perfect sinless life that none of us could live and believing that he went to the cross to pay for our sins, that is a saving faith. See, this is one of the clearest expressions in the Bible of the truth of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. This is the New Testament gospel in the Old Testament in Galatians 15. In fact, Paul references Genesis 15 four times in the New Testament. He references it three times in the book of Romans, and then he references it here in Galatians in chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. So now Abraham, or excuse me, now Paul is going back to Genesis 15. And he says, in the same way, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. 
So Paul goes back to the Genesis 15 passage. And again, I think this must have just blown his mind the first time the Holy Spirit revealed the truth of this to him. (laughs) I wonder what Paul thought about Genesis 15 before he encountered Jesus. But after he encounters Jesus, he clearly sees that Genesis 15 is saying that righteousness with God comes from faith in Jesus Christ alone. And Paul is contrasting this to what the Judaizers were saying. Because the Judaizers were coming to the church in Galatians saying, hey, look, the covenant of our ancestors is important. It's necessary. We need to do these things to have a right relationship with God. Circumcision, a kosher diet, the Jewish calendar, all of these things are required. And Paul is saying, just read Genesis 15. Abram wasn't justified by any of that. They weren't even around yet. How could Abram be justified by obeying the law when the law wasn't even written? Paul says Abram was justified by his faith, by believing in what God said. See, Abraham was saved apart from the law. The Judaizers could only be saved apart from the law. You and I can only be saved apart from the law. And that is such good news. Because living under the law is living under an amazing burden. Because when you live under the law, every day, at the end of every day, you have to ask yourself, did I do enough? And you have to ask that over and over and over. And if you're honest with yourself, the answer is always no, you didn't. Because we can never do enough. But because we are saved by faith, the question we have to ask is, Did Jesus do enough? And we only have to ask it once because the answer is a resounding yes. Jesus did enough. In fact, Jesus did it all. That's why when Jesus was hanging on the cross, moments before he died, he said, it's finished. Tetelestai was the word, which means it is finished, but it it had a meaning of the debt is paid in full. It's done because Jesus did enough. And that brings us to our last point. And that's that God's ancient promise to Abraham belongs to the nations, not just to Israel. And this is the promised blessing of the Holy Spirit. This message is so powerful for us today because you and I get to cash in on that promise. You and I as believers have the promised blessing of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that salvation is for all who would believe, for all who would place their faith in Christ. And when we do that, we receive this promised blessing of the Holy Spirit. Here's kind of what that timeline looks like. So Genesis 12, the original promise is given. In Genesis 15, God affirms the promise to Abraham, and that's where Abraham believes God and it's credited to him as righteousness. The law is given in Exodus 20. Jesus comes, John chapter 1, and then the Holy Spirit comes, both in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10. The promise is fulfilled. And we see the promise first fulfilled to the apostles on the day of Pentecost, right? And if you're familiar with that story, it's something like flames, uh, tongues of fire come down and rest on them. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they go out and they they evangelize. They, They proclaim the gospel, and it says that thousands of people were added to their number that day. And the Christian movement really begins to gain traction. 
And then in Acts chapter 10, we see the promised Holy Spirit come to the Gentiles. So Acts chapter 10, verses 44 and 45. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who had came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. <laughs> the Jewish believers were amazed that the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. Now remember, it's easy for us to look back and kind of maybe scoff at that, but this would have been really hard for a Jewish Christian to come to grips with because for generations they had been God's chosen people. And just like I think Paul all those years had missed the real truth in Genesis 15 and Genesis 12, so had they. So it says that, that they're amazed. In fact, that the word really means they were beside themselves. The Greek word that Paul uses there means to be put out of place or to be set beside oneself. They're literally beside themselves that the Gentiles get the Holy Spirit. And then, so then Paul's going to take and then remind the Galatians of what it was like when they received the Spirit. And he asks this question in Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. He says, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. And even more importantly, this was for everyone, not just for the Jews. So Paul continues this in verse 14. He says, Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing He promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. So that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Guys, this is, this is foundational stuff, but it's so important for us to understand that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are what allows us to be made right before a holy God. That's how we are, are justified. So he looks at us just as if we had never sinned. But then the result of that justification is so powerful because we receive the Holy Spirit. Here's how Paul talks about it in another one of his letters in Ephesians 1.13. He says, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom He promised long ago. It is amazing that God Himself takes residence in us through the Holy Spirit when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That it's not just God among us, it's actually God in us. The Holy Spirit working in us and through us to make us more like Jesus. And when does that happen? It's right here in verse 13. It happens right when we believed. It says, when you believed, God identified us as his own. See, it's so important for us to recognize that, guys. It's so important for us to realize that it's not about our own effort. It's not about how hard we try. It's about what Jesus did. You know, I think for those of us who have already put our faith in Jesus Christ, we know that it begins at the cross. That makes sense to us. But did you know that's also how we progress? We don't come to Christ through faith and then progress by works. We progress through faith as well. Through the working of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. 
I mean, if you're like me, there's probably times when you're frustrated at the lack of progress in your Christian walk, right? You notice that you're still impatient. You're still selfish. You still have hang-ups and habits, and you wonder how come they're not going away. But I just want to encourage you, and I want to remind myself that it's not about trying harder. It's about trusting what Jesus did at the cross and what the Holy Spirit is going to do in us and through us. You know, one of my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 15, 5. In John 15, 5, Jesus is talking. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I love it that he says he will bear much fruit. He doesn't have the opportunity to bear it. He doesn't say he might bear it. He says he will bear it. Does a, does a branch have to try harder to bear fruit? We live in a farming community. Some of you guys are farming. Does a branch have to try hard? All it has to do is remain connected to the vine. If you and I remain connected to the vine... If we trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross and we trust in what the Spirit is doing in our lives and allow the Spirit to work through us, you and I will bear fruit. And what does that fruit look like? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. It's not about us trying harder. It's about letting the Spirit do what the Spirit is going to do. As we close today, I just, just want to go back to something I mentioned earlier about the difference between believing in God and believing God. In a room this size, I'd say there's a good chance that some of you have believed in God. You would say, I, I believe in God. I believe there's something bigger than myself, but that's as far as you've ever gone. You've never believed God in the sense that you've never believed the promise that he's made to you. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never asked Jesus to forgive you for your sins so you can have a right relationship with God. And I would just say, guys, if that's you, I hope and pray that, that you would ask questions about that. I hope and pray that you would come up for prayer. We'll have people up front. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. I hope that you would do business with God today because when you do, as Paul pointed out in the Galatians, you have these amazing promises that God gives to those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ including the promised Holy Spirit. But I would be remiss if I didn't also say that the Bible says God makes a lot of promises to people who don't put their faith in Jesus Christ, and they're pretty terrifying. So if you have questions about how to do that or questions about your next step, we'd love to come up. We'd love to talk with you after the service. Let's pray. God, as we've been in this Galatians series I know for some of us it may be like, this is pretty basic stuff. I know that we're saved by faith alone and Christ alone. But Lord God, just like Paul had read the same passage in Genesis over and over and over and over before it finally clicked because of the Holy Spirit, maybe that's the case for some of us. And I just pray that your spirit would reveal the truth of Galatians 3. And Lord God, there's nothing we can do to be right in your sight. It's all about trusting that what Jesus did was enough. And then going back to that day after day after day that what Jesus did was enough and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us. And as we do that, we will bear fruit. 
So God, I thank you for that promise. And God, I want to lift up anyone here this morning who has never put their faith in Jesus, who, who maybe would say, yeah, I believe in God, but I've never believed God. Oh, God, I just pray that today might be the day that you'd soften their heart, that they would see that there is a God who loves them, a God who desires a relationship with them, and that you would help them to take that next step. Lord, we love you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.